Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman, and today I get to have a conversation with another podcast host, Shelby Abbott, my friend with whom I worked for many years with Campus Crusade. Shelby's been with Crew for over 23 years. He's now with the branch of Crew called Family Life. He hosts a podcast called Real Life Loading, and uh, I'm delighted to talk to him about uh, ministering to younger people, that's his audience, uh, what he's encouraged about, what's going on in our world. Shelby, welcome to Questions That Matter. Randy, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you again. I sincerely mean that. It's really good to see you. Yeah, it is fun. We worked together on uh, in campus ministry, although we were never on the same campus, but in the same uh, same region. Um, I same should tell area, our, yep. Right. Um, I should tell our our listeners. Um, Shelby's written several books. Um, book about doubt, very important book. Doubt less because faith is hard. Uh, I believe your newest book is What's the Point? Is that correct that that's your newest book? Yeah, that's the newest one that I wrote uh, for Family Life aimed at actually non-believing people who are uh, interested in the topic of cohabitation. So I made a, my, I made an argument for marriage over cohabitation, and mm. it really acts as an apologetic. So uh, talk about Jesus, get them there, and then help them to understand why it's a bad idea to live together instead of get married. Okay. Well, so tell us about, let's start with, um, tell me about real life loading. I know that you, you're, um, you, you want it to be a podcast that connects with people who are between 18 and 28 years old. So, uh, right after high school through college and afterwards, and it sounds like this book on cohabitation would fit, uh, with that audience. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about your, your audience and the podcast. Yeah, it's a younger audience, and Real Life Loading, the the tagline of the podcast is somewhat anxious, always authentic. And so we really wanted to be intentional about living in the pocket of ambiguity of life during that period of time. So it's real life loading dot, dot, dot. And those dots represent, you know, if you plug your phone into your car, you see the loading sign that comes up and you get the three dots that kind of get bigger and smaller and they, they kind of pulse. It really communicates that you're in the process of not arriving. We, we don't have all the answers. We're just kind of talking about what that looks like and living in, uh, kind of the the questions, but really at the same time, pointing to the truth of the gospel, helping to people, helping people to see that there are real answers, but it's okay sometimes to not be okay. Um, that's really where we want to live and help young people to see that what they're searching for in life is the truth of the gospel. They're looking for Jesus. They just may not know it, but it's okay to be not okay sometimes. Hmm. Oh, this is really important. All right, so let's start on the on the on the very positive side. What are you most encouraged about as you connect more and more with this audience? Uh, by the way, I mean, in a sense, you've been ministering to this audience for mm -hmm. almost twenty five years or longer. Because I mean, as a as a student, you were connected in that right. way. Um, um, but now you're old enough to have an eleven year old daughter and a nine year old daughter, and um, uh, boy, we need to have you back on a whole thing about talking about raising daughters because I need, uh, <laughs> I need I need work on that. Uh, we, we didn't raise any daughters, but now I have granddaughters, and you know what? Oh, they're okay. different. 
they're different than boys and I'm making very true. all the mistakes. <laughs> so yes. but that's, a, that's another conversation. So your audience of the 18 through 28 year olds, what are mm -hmm. you most encouraged about? Or what are the some of the things you're encouraged about? Uh, one of the main things that I'm encouraged about is their willingness to be authentic about where they're at. And that hasn't always been true of previous generations. They are willing to not fake it. They're willing to be real and um, tell people the truth about the fact that they're either doing well or not doing well. So I appreciate that because that's kind of ground zero for starting really good conversations and leading people in the right direction. Because if you're faking it, it's just you got you to gotta tear those walls down before you can actually start to do real work in someone's life. They don't fake it very much. And I love that about them. The other thing is that they they actually genuinely care about other people. Not everything in this generation is driven by money or success or power. They genuinely want to help other people and money is not their motivator. And that's pretty rare. If you think about previous generations, that doesn't happen very often. Now, of course, as they get older, they can become enchanted by the almighty dollar. But I'd say that that's not true when they're younger. And so if you can help them to see that Jesus is worth it, that the gospel is worth it, that the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is worthy of their lives, they will genuinely change the world because there is a lot of power in a young person who's willing to commit their life to the glory of Jesus, be a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ, and um, not be influenced by other things at the same time. So I love harnessing that kind of enthusiasm mixed with the energy that a young person can have that I simply don't have anymore. Well, let's look at the other side. So you, your tagline has about the word anxious in it and the word authentic in it. Um, tell us about the anxious side. One of the major things that I think this younger generation wrestles with the most is mental health um, and anxiety, and um, that can mean a lot of different things. Uh, there could be, you know, clinical solutions to those kind of things. There could be counseling solutions to those kind of things. But I think anxiety in general is on the rise, has mm -hmm. been for a while, and there are a number of young people who suffer from worrying and being. Um, caught kind of in the suffering of that as they think about what might happen because they're so consciously aware of what's happening in the world. And because of social media and the technology that we have, we have the ability to be able to see what's going on, not only in our lives around here, but all the bad things that are happening in our general area, in our country, in on this continent, and on the other side of the world. And just, I don't think our brains are capable of handling that kind of negativity. And so anxiousness is a huge part of the life of a young person. That being said, um, I think it's okay to live there and be um, honest with God about how we're feeling in those moments. Uh, God gives us permission. As you read the Psalms, I heard a pastor one time say, the, the Psalms give us permission to beat on God's chest. And I love that kind of visceral imagery. I think it's okay to beat on God's chest as a young person and say, I'm wrestling with this. I'm having a hard time with this. But we want to be authentic about it. We always want to be truthful about where we're at, what we're dealing with, and um, look to the true source of our 
freedom and hope, which is the truth of the gospel found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So I'm trying to point people in that direction, but help them to know that sometimes if you're wrestling with the anxiety of life, it's okay. Let's just lean in and try to find the right answers as opposed to back away from the truth, which is what a lot of people do, Mm. sadly. You know, um, you you just touched on something that I just hadn't connected those dots before, but um, we are so much more aware of what's going on in the world now, mm-hmm. all the time. We we know things as they happen, and um, that's dramatically different than uh, the previous thousands of years, and even not all that long ago. It was, you know, not that long ago. If you if you paid attention to the news, you got an installment of it once a day, usually toward the end of the day. Now it's constantly there. It's it's we're hearing all of it all the time, um, uh, and and so uh, on one level that has to increase anxiety. Um, but on the other hand, it's well we have a God who can help us in the midst of that. I'm not I'm not saying we should disconnect from uh, you know, hearing what's going on around the world. I, I don't think we can anymore. So it's no, finding yeah. uh, strength and hope and peace in the midst of that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, say some more about the authentic side, uh, because I, I do think that that really is a, a key buzzword um, in our world today. The problem is, I think uh, a lot of times it's authenticity as an end in itself. There, I'm authentic. Right. This is who I am. Uh, accept me who I am with, you know, warts and all and sinfulness. And um, and as Christians, we want to say, well, yes, we need to be authentic and real, but for the purpose of seeing transformation. But now I'm putting words in your mouth and I shouldn't do that. So uh, (laughs) say some more about the side of it. Yeah, you're you're totally right on. I I think it's one of those things. Let's not hide behind uh, the veneer of being a good person when we're struggling to be a good person. And so we want to talk about the things that young people wrestle with or have questions about. Maybe they're not a personal... someone who struggles with it personally, but they definitely know people who wrestle with certain things like same-sex attraction or their identity or uh, is is there kind of authenticity in what it means to understand the Bible, uh, why bad things happen, why suffering happens. Um, you know, where where are we thinking when it comes to dating today? What are we thinking about sex? What do we think about friendship even? Um, there's so many different things that a a number of young people wrestle with, or like I said, they know someone who wrestles with these things. We want to get to the truth of those things and not gloss over them. We want to talk about them. And often, you know, this is how it works. Often those things give us enormous opportunity to be able to point to the good news of the gospel. They give us great, great opera and unique opportunities to be able to point to Jesus as the true solution to the the issues that people are having in life. And so the authentic part is really in many ways a gateway to be able to communicate the truth of the fact that we are needy people, needy, needy people in in need of a savior to come and rescue us from ourselves. And so you could do you can get in that doorway through a number of different conversations, everything from uh, apologizing well to apologetics to you know understanding the word of god to prayer 
to anger to humor. I had a stand-up comedian on a couple of weeks ago, and th- just not too long ago, I talked to someone who, who, when they were younger, had sexual addiction. What do we do with sexual addiction in a hyper-sexualized culture? All of those things are opportunities to be able to to talk about the truth of the gospel, to talk about the real solution being in Jesus. You just got to look for them appropriately, and that's what we're trying to do. So I'm trying to marry all of that with you know, the, the the honesty of humor and, you know, kind of entertainment value as well in, in the podcast. It's not a ton, but at the same time, uh, it gives people the opportunity to go, oh, that guy, I connect with that, or I think that's funny. And young people like that kind of stuff, so they might listen even longer. We could point them to to the real solution, like I said, in the gospel. Hmm. Say you 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 uh, went past this phrase very quickly. Uh, another opportunity of pointing people to the gospel, sharing the gospel with non Christians, you said was apologizing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, say some more about that. What 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 did you mean? I think that a number of young people have had, sadly, they, they uh, the previous generation give them poor examples of what it looks like to actually own the areas where they've uh, failed or their shortcomings. So I know a number of people, myself included, who could think of older generations in their family, whether it be their grandparents or their parents, not be able able to even remember uh, a true apology coming from the lips of their parents or grandparents uh, ever, let alone counting it maybe on one hand. So one of the things that we like to talk about is just owning uh, the areas where you've been a failure, and that's part of the authentic part. And so one of the ways that we can do that is just being honest about our our failures and shortcomings, looking at people with humility, apologizing, and then asking for forgiveness. And so those are the those are the key steps that I think not only that young people appreciate and they they will want to pass on to their children in the future is that they say, I'm I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Not mm. like I'm sorry if you were hurt. I'm sorry <laughs> that that happened. These are these are bad apologies. I'm sorry because I did this. Owning your failures and shortcomings, and then and that comes back to again the the element of humility. And so I think that young people, in many ways, are pushing into humility in ways that previous generations did not. Myself included. My generation, and I'm a Gen Xer. So. If you really appreciate this ministry that we have, if you share our vision and our burden for discipleship, we would love it if you would become a financial partner with us. Uh, We love what we do here at the C.S. Lewis Institute, and we are constantly reminded that we we couldn't do it without the support of people who are uh, generous in their giving. And... um, we, we invite you to become a partner. If you already are a, a financial supporter, thank you so much. If you give on a monthly basis, that's what really helps us the most. If you give occasionally, we ask, well, maybe you could consider um, becoming a regular monthly donor. Uh, this is very often around the time of year that people look at their budgets and say, how do I wanna shape that for the following year? Perhaps we could become one of those uh, places where you Uh, support on a monthly basis. And if you've never given, um, please join us. Uh, We think there's some really great things that God is doing through us in in spite of our weaknesses, but with um, uh, great results all around the world. And it would be wonderful to have you join us in the process. Thanks.
Um, well, since this is a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute, I'm required by contract that I have to quote C.S. Lewis in every podcast episode. <laughs> Great no, idea. I'm not. I'm not. But, but um, whenever we get to this topic about apologizing or apology and what, what is a real apology and what isn't, what, what really leads, flows out of real repentance and leads to real repentance and then real transformation by the gospel. I, I always think of, and it's a pretty lengthy quote, so uh, listeners, get ready. This is going to be a long one. Um, but Lewis wrote this short essay on forgiveness, and I just love it. And I think it's so insightful. So I want to read it um, because I do think uh, a younger generation is looking for genuine, authentic apologies that aren't just um, well, this, you know, this is who I am. You got to accept me. No, no, that really lead to transformation. So here's what, here's what Lewis wrote in that essay. I find that when I think I am asking God to forgive me, I am often in reality, unless I watch myself very carefully, asking him to do something quite different. I am asking him not to forgive me, but to excuse me. But there is all the difference in the world between forgiving and excusing. Forgiveness says, Yes, you have done this thing, but I accept your apology. I will never hold it against you, and everything between us two will be exactly as it was before. But excusing says, oh, I see that you couldn't help it, or you didn't mean it. You weren't really to blame. And then he says, if one was not really to blame, then there's nothing to forgive. In that case, in that sense, forgiveness and excusing are almost opposites. And then, as only Lewis could put such a punctuation mark on it. He says, if you had the perfect excuse, you would not need forgiveness. If the whole of your actions needs forgiveness, then there was no excuse for it. <laughs> and, so and, and, and I, I really do think this is where the gospel shines as so very different than, than others. So on one hand, it's a denial of, well, you know, it wasn't really that bad. I, you know, I, I, you know, I just didn't have my second cup of coffee yet. And, and so you're not really confessing anything and you're not really uh, admitting sin. But on the other hand, it's the, oh, I'm just such a terrible person there. And, and there's no resolution. There's no atonement. There's no transformation. Of course, now I'm repeating myself and uh, sorry for that. But um, I, I love this. I love this, the, this dual vision that you have for your ministry of, yes, they're anxious and there's very good reasons for their anxiety. And the gospel is good news for those of us, I include myself, who are anxious. Um, and there's also an emphasis on authenticity. And the gospel is very good news when we are authentic and real. Yeah. So uh, that, I, I think this is really very, very helpful and encouraging. Yeah, and I'm not claiming to have all the answers, too. One of the things that I like to say is that I want to be a trusted friend to come alongside you as the next generation and help you walk closely with God in mm. the humor and hardship of life. And so I, I'm I'm not claiming to be this sage that that people need to come to or hero that needs to be worshiped, which I think is a is a tendency for people to do online, specifically through through social media or things like YouTube to become this like hero that people look up to. And we've we've seen how that's gone in the last several years. The heroes fall and then people all of a sudden throw the baby out with the bathwater and then they don't trust, they deconstruct, they don't, they walk away from their faith because these heroes fall. I am not trying to be that person. I am trying to be a trusted friend to come alongside them as someone who's maybe a step or two ahead of them in life 
and help them to see, hey, these are some areas where I've messed up. These are some areas where I think you can learn from my mistakes. But I also am acting as, a, as an indicator to go in the right direction. And the direction is toward the goodness of the gospel, the truth of scripture, the beauty of Jesus, and how they can experience that personally, corporately, and then use that to, to help change the world. That's what, really what I want to do. Hmm. All right. So this phrase, the humor and the hardship of life. Say some more about humor. Uh, I know this has been a big part of your life. I mean, I remember yep. decades ago, you emceeing at a conference and you're hysterically funny. Um, but 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 I but I know that you're, you've thought deeply about humor. You're, you're not just funny for being zany. Um, you've thought carefully about the use of humor. Yeah. Uh, say some say some of the things you've discovered along the way or how or how God has used humor in this ministry that you have. Yeah, like you said, I emceed conferences. Uh, I did that for about 20 years, and that would mean looking like kind of entertaining a crowd and kind of being the grease between the wheels of the different elements of a conference from speakers to the, the worship to you know testimonies and things like that. But I, I discovered pretty quickly in that process of being on stage in front of you know 1,500, sometimes almost 2,000 people, that humor has the ability to be able to tear down walls in people's lives and you can once those walls are down, you can inject truth pretty easily into their lives. Now, we've seen this a lot with stand up comedians who use humor to tear down walls in people's lives and then lead them into like dangerous messages, dangerous positions in life. And so I thought yeah. if other people can do that with the wrong message, why can't I do that with the right message? And so mm -hmm. I actually did stand up comedy for about four years with the campus ministry. And I did that to start as, as a means to help Christian students learn how to be motivated and inspired and trained in evangelism. So I did that for, for two years, which was fun, but also difficult. And then for two other years, I brought a buddy of mine on, my best friend, Andy, and we ended up doing stand-up comedy for non-Christian students. And we traveled all around the country doing that, trying to like help people touch on true things about life and the gospel and God and plant the seeds to be able to help people ask deeper questions in the future. Because if you can win someone with humor, they're willing to listen to your opinion in ways that, that maybe they wouldn't have before. There's an element of respect that is gained if you can make someone laugh. And I think all of us can like point to that. Oh yeah, that person used to make me laugh, right? You're, I'm drawn to it. People enjoy humor. They, they're they're magnet, magnet, magnetically pulled toward jokes or being funny. And that looks like different things to different people. But I thought it's such a powerful tool, such a powerful weapon to be able to utilize for the goodness of the gospel. So I try to do that and, and be light in some of my interviews as much as anyone else. And I know you have a great sense of humor as well. So it's been fun to, to talk about and joke about things with you. Marry that with the, the truth of like, there is hardship in life and we could do both of those things. They're not mutually exclusive. Oh man, there's so much here. Um, I remember talking to someone who uh, did a whole bunch of stand-up comedy, and then he was sort of progressing in a sense to doing, um, I just forgot the word. Give me a second. What's the word? Improv. There we go. Yeah, improvisation. Yeah. Okay. So he did stand-up comedy, and then he was getting training in improvisation. And there was this big theme uh, that they were working on. And apparently it's, it's like a really crucial component of improv. It's the whole mindset of yes. And, 
yeah. as opposed to no, but. Yeah. Um, and yes, and. So you're listening to what the person's saying, and you, you may not necessarily say out loud, yes, and. Um, but what you do is you, you latch on to something they just said, and you try to use that of pushing it further in the same direction or even in a different direction, but yes, and. And I've thought we need so much more of yes, and in evangelism and pre-evangelistic conversations rather than no, but. Yeah. Um, so many times people say things or they ask questions and our, their, our default mode is no, here's why that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Here's why you need to believe in Jesus. Here's why he's the truth. What you're believing is wrong. Well, uh, there is plenty of need for that, but there's also a lot of when people say things that show a value that we can reinforce Yes, relationships really are crucial. Yes, we are longing for something more than we can just find in material things. Yes, and and uh, I, I know that that's a, that's a big part. You you've also written about evangelism, right? Tell tell us about your your evangelism training book or yeah. books. This was actually the first book I wrote back in 2010, and then we did a second edition in I believe 2016. Um, it's called Jacked. Uh, an irrepressible passion to share the gospel. And it's just mm. little kind of anecdotes, illustrations, little vignettes to help a young person in college be able to gain a heart and understanding for why why do we even share the gospel? Why do we do that? Why do we move into the discomfort of something like that? To help them to see the importance not only of why we do it, but part partly really of who we are as Christians. Mm. Evangelism isn't something that we necessarily do as part of who we are. And so training them in things like what you were just talking about when it comes to listening well, making sure that we're paying attention to what people are saying as opposed to what they're not saying. And it's easy to find areas of disagreement with anybody, but find finding those common patches where we do agree on stuff and then helping them see the goodness of the gospel. So each little section has questions at the end and it's meant even to go through in five parts with a group of people and have like a, a small group Bible study at the end. So there's questions at the end of each section and then that whole section, there's a Bible study at the end of each section. And so I wrote it that way as, as a means to be communal because we as believers are not supposed to be solo. We're never supposed to act as an island. And I find that when you do evangelism in clusters with groups of people, it's not only way easier, it's just more fun too. One of the uh, ministries we have here at the C.S. Lewis Institute we call Keeping the Faith. It's uh, a, a program that's been developed to equip you, particularly parents and grandparents and other adults who are caring for children and grandchildren, the, the intentional discipleship of the children that God has placed in your life. And uh, we've got a lot of resources at the Keeping the Faith tab on our website. Um, we know that if you're, if you're uh, caring for children, that you're busy and you're tired. Uh, and so our goal is to provide you with uh, resources that will be available to you at a moment's reach. Uh, as well as uh, deeper, more thoughtful resources when you have the time to fill your well. So um, you'll find videos, articles, monthly newsletter, recommended resources. Uh, we regularly post on Facebook and Instagram. We also have two study programs available. So please check out this resource at our website, cslewisinstitute.org slash 
keeping the faith and it's keeping hyphen the hyphen faith but you don't even need to know all that go to our website i think you'll find keeping the faith pretty easy to find and there's a wealth of resources there thanks <laughs> oh yes um you know i was talking to someone recently and i said to them that um i i, I said something out loud that i don't remember saying before in a, a conversation with a non-Christian. They were sharing something about a, a wonderful vacation that they just had, and it was a really fun time. Uh, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for you. And uh, as I said those words, I thought, you know, I really haven't said that sentence too many times at all in my life because <laughs> my, my default mode is I want to talk about me. So, right. yeah, that was nice what you just said. But here, let me tell you about me. Right. And so by saying I'm really happy for you, it was keeping the attention on them. Mm -hmm. So I was recounting this to a Christian friend and I was saying, I said, you know, I think I wonder if that's actually a good, I don't know, a piece of strategy and evangelism of the yes and mindset of they say something really good and we want to latch onto it. And this person I was talking to did not like what I was saying and I could see it on their face. And he yeah, said, yeah. he said, well, I, I just don't know if I can say to a non-Christian, I'm happy for you. I mean, they're going to hell. They're separated from God. And I, I just don't know if I can say that. And I, and I said, oh, sure you can. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of an interesting <laughs> argument I was having. I, I said, well, no, I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, I'm happy about everything in your life and I'm happy about where you're going to spend eternity. No, but I think I can safely say, oh, you just came back from a really great vacation and the weather was great. That's wonderful. That's, That's really a good great. Thing. Yeah. Tell, tell me more about it. And it's God's common grace and his general revelation of goodness. So yeah. um, I, I do think there's, we, we yes, we definitely need to get around to telling people the bad news of what separation from God is all about. But sometimes it can start with something like, I'm really happy for you. Yeah. And I feel like that goes a long way, especially as, as I'm talking about with the younger generation. Um, they are getting tons of bad news. There's no question about that. And like, they do need to hear that they, they are in need. Of course they need to hear that. But at the same time, uh, I've found that as you ask questions and you do actually listen to their answers and you connect with them and you make good quality connections through whatever they might be interested, uh, you're, you're going onto their turf, so to speak. You're, you're, you're being intentional about finding out about them. I've been, I, I'm not into video games at all, but video games are a huge part of the younger generation, billions mm. and billions of dollars worth of, of an industry. And so I've been recently watching people online playing video games and I, I have no interest in it whatsoever, but I'm like, if I want to be intentional about knowing the next generation, I'm going to go onto their turf. I'm going to make myself uncomfortable. I'm going to be confused and try to learn so that I can meet them on their territory and have good conversations in the future that connect to the glory of Jesus and the gospel. Oh, man. Well said. That was good. All right. So here's here's my penultimate question. I love using that word. Um, I'm word. not really sure what it means, but I'm pretty sure it means next to last. So, um, so this is not the last question because I don't want to end on the negative. Um, but we do have to at least go a little bit more. You've, you've already alluded to some things, but I've asked you what you're most encouraged about, about this audience you're reaching 18 to 28 year olds. What are, what are some of your biggest concerns? Some of my biggest concerns for the young generation is, um, distraction. I think that the evil one is really good at being able to distract, especially the younger generation, 
from the truth and the beauty of the gospel in a number of different ways. So TikTok was a huge thing, is a huge thing. I decided, I rolled my eyes at it at first, but then I said, this is where people are, so I need to at least find out about it. So I ended up downloading the app, putting it on my phone. I logged on one evening at about 10.30, and I just it just the app throws you into videos and throws things at you that you think you might like. And so you end up scrolling and scrolling. It was about 10.30. I thought maybe a couple minutes had gone by. I looked up, and the clock said 11.14, and it felt mm. like just a few seconds had gone by. It was very uh. strange, my first experience with TikTok. And I'm like, no wonder people are distracted. The algorithm is absolutely incredible. It's amazing at keeping your focus on nothingness, on silliness, huh. on stupidness, oh. on on funniness. You know, there's a lot of great humor in there as well. But I thought to myself, what a what a sharp, sharp instrument in the hands of the evil one to be able to distract people from the realities of life. So, what a sharp instrument to be able to use for the glory of Jesus as well. So, trying to flip the script and and ha- find the negative areas of stuff in terms of distraction and pull them back to the beauty of the gospel. There's nothing more fascinating than the story of the gospel. It is the greatest story ever told. And so I'm trying to help people not be distracted from the monotony of things like social media, the the boredom of life. Pull them pull their gaze toward the beauty of Jesus and help them to see the real story there. Um but I am I am nervous about that. It's it's a huge thing. Uh, not only TikTok, but YouTube. Um, I was just at a at a birthday party recently, and every teenager's face was buried in their phone because they're not good at interacting with other people. They want to feel safe, mm-hmm. and so they're distracted by their phones to to take them away from reality. I want to pull young people toward reality, which is which is hard work. It's tough to do. Mm. Man. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to let you uh, have the very last bit of if there's anything that you wanted to say that we, have, we haven't had a chance to say, here's your chance. But before we get to that, so now this is really my penultimate question. I don't know how to use that word. Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, so much of your ministry, your life is others focused, which is so great and beautiful. So evangelism, uh, this podcast, Real Life Loading. Um, where where have you seen the goodness of the gospel touch your own life recently? Where where is it where it hits you of oh I'm this is so good this it's so good that this is real it's true it's it's better than I could have imagined. Randy, this is such a good question and one that I've been asking a lot of people lately because uh, the gospel has transformed my life. Not only when I became a Christian at 19 and as I've done ministry over life, but my, the gospel has transformed my life in so many significant ways just within the last year. There's a story in, in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus pulls aside this blind man and he spits on his eyes. <laughs> and, he, and then he covers his eyes and he opens his eyes and he says, what do you see? And he says, I see men, but they look like trees walking. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he covers his eyes again, and then he opens his eyes, and he's now he can see clearly. And I feel like for the majority of my Christian life, even through ministry over 20 years, I've been looking at the gospel like trees walking and not see the clarity and the beauty of the gospel. Mm. And that looked like a number of different things uh, as as my sight went from blurry to clear. But I, f- I, I finally wrote after 30 years— a letter 
to forgive my biological father for his neglect of being in my life. Basically, he just wasn't interested in me in me at all. And so I, I wrote him a letter and sent it to him. Uh, Randy, this was in June of 2022. I sent him a letter then. And I was like, if you would have asked me a year ago, you need to forgive your father. Will you will you send a letter? I would have been like, no way. But the gospel has been transforming my heart and my life. I've been forgiven much. How can I hold that against my father? So 30 mm. years, I wrote him a letter and told him basically the slate is clean. I forgive you. And I did that in the context of community with other men who I was with. Um, and that was just a beautiful thing. I, I, <laughs> I recently agreed to go to a, a 6.30 a.m. prayer meeting. And oh, my wife texted me Lord. and she goes, yeah. was that? I said that I really hope that's not God's will for my life. <laughs> yeah, I know. Morning. No, I know. It's I, I'm not a morning person at all. My wife, when I told her I was going to go to that, she's like, I saw you added this to the calendar. What is that? And I said, it's a morning prayer meeting with, with men at the church. And she goes, now I know that the gospel is changing your life. <laughs> she said, she said, forgiving your father was one thing, but now I know that you're different. And, you know, she was joking, but at the same time, you can't fake it with your spouse. You just can't. My uh, wife has looked at me and said, Shelby, you are different. And that's just been in the last year. I am so much more in love with Jesus than I've ever been. And I am thrilled with the fact that he is using me. And even if I fade off into obscurity, nobody ever listens to my podcast. Nobody reads my books. It's totally fine because it's, I am forgiven. And there are multiple times lately I've just been driving along. God, why did you pick me? Why did you, you know what my motivations are. You know, my evil heart, you know, my selfishness, you know, my lack of humility. Why did you pick me? But he did. And that's what grace is. And uh, it's just been phenomenal. I've never been closer to Jesus than I am right now. And I can't wait for tomorrow because it's going to get better. Oh man. Oh man. All right. We, uh, that's, that's a very good place for us to bring this to a close. Thank you so much. So maybe the question that matters in this podcast is just how good is the gospel? Shelby Abbott, you have helped us uh, reflect deeply about that question. Thank you so much. We're so grateful for your ministry. Uh, to my listeners, I want to say check out Real Life Loading. Um, all of the many people that I'm sure you know who are between 18 and 28 years old, tell them about this resource. Um, and uh, we'll have a couple of resources listed uh, on the, the show notes. Uh, once again, to our listeners, thank you so much for listening to Questions That Matter. We hope that all that we do at the C.S. Lewis Institute is really helpful in your own discipleship of heart and mind. We pray that all that we do will help you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Shelby, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, brother. Appreciate it. <laughs>